Simply Complex is brought to you by Studio 71 and the YouTube channel How to Make Everything. Hey Brian, how's it going? Hey Taylor, so as you know I'm in Los Angeles for a few days and while I was here I thought I'd go down and pay a visit to Rodeo Drive. Rodeo Drive is synonymous with high-end fashion and expensive clothing that only the elite can afford. But today it seems that designer brands can be found in different stores at different price points. So it seems like it's really hard to be able to determine the value of clothing nowadays when there's such a huge range of quality and price and also designer brand names selling at this wide range of price points. I don't know about you, but I often just try to find the cheapest clothes that fit and look pretty good. But is there a value to spending more money on a piece of clothing? I don't know. So maybe these are a few things that we can dive into. What do you think? That idea is awesome. Let's do it. In today's modern world, we are always in such a hurry. We rarely stop to think about the things that keep the gears turning. On Simply Complex, we explore the people, technologies, items, and processes that, while at one point were considered outstanding, have today become so commonplace, we take them for granted. Hey Andy. Hey Taylor. Today we're talking about quality clothing. Black Friday, Cyber Week, Cyber Monday and Week just happened. And so there's lots of deals on clothes and technology and there's Christmas coming up. But how do you really determine what a quality piece of clothing is? Because for most Americans, it's easy to go to the store and find clothing that is affordable but retains a quality that makes us feel like we're buying something, especially on the clearance rack, that it's worth the money we spend. It's hard to imagine what life would be like without clothing so readily available, yet I find myself barely taking time to consider the complexity of these systems, processes, and the countless people it takes to achieve this. In today's episode, we will be exploring the evolution of clothing manufacturing, the differences between high fashion and fast fashion, and how the quality of clothing is measured in today's world. We talked to our friend Kate Cornier, who knows way more about fashion than us and has a background in fashion and design, Then we end with our favorite takeaways and talk about what we have planned for next time. Chris also visits a haberdashery and gets fitted for a suit exactly like the one Andy made. The overarching questions we're looking to find better answers for are how is the price of clothing textile determined and what plays the biggest role in determining that price? And how does that price affect the design process? Has the quality of fast fashion improved? How is quality determined in the clothing textile industry? To better explore this question, You tried to make a formal suit from scratch. Yes, I did. I made a full suit. What did you use to make the suit? I used a whole assortment. I used hemp and cotton, wool and alpaca, silk, and even leather. How long did it take you to make that? Ten months. Ten months? Oh my gosh. You can kind of tell my naivety when I went into it because I actually thought it was going to turn out with something good. (laughs) (laughs) I actually needed a suit and I was like, I want to make a suit. Like it incorporates a lot of different elements, just like the sandwich. So I tried to find as many different types of fabrics and materials that are used for clothing and tried to make a whole ensemble. And I I was fully clothed in the end, mostly. Mostly with your already 
store-bought clothing. Uh, <laughs> so how did you determine the quality of it? That was ultimately defined by my own abilities. So the quality was pretty low. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then how did you measure the overall cost of it? Because you said it cost $4,000. How did you de- determine that cost? That is mostly the uh, travel expenses of because I went to Colorado for the hemp and Texas for the cotton. And then... Um, my own time expenses of paying myself minimum wage to spin all the fabric and weave it and sew it to end up with the final suit. So you took material cost, processing time, and then the actual time to fit it all together and put it on. Yep. And how did the suit turn out? It met my first goal of being clothing and covering (laughs) all of the important parts. (laughs) Besides that, it was completely uncomfortable uh, incredibly warm, but at the same time, not didn't, wouldn't really keep you warm in the winter because it was shorts and <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was super itchy. And uh, overall, one of the worst things I've ever worn, I'd say. So it was a felted alpaca jacket, a cotton shirt, hemp pants, a wool vest, a silk tie, and a leather belt. Yep. Man, that's a lot of work. Yeah, this was definitely the most time-consuming and challenging project I've ever taken on. I totally believe it. I can't imagine having to do that for every single piece of clothing I wear. I am so glad that clothing manufacturing technology has developed, but it's pretty crazy that we can get clothes for so cheap now when it is such a difficult process and when you think about how durable modern fabric is. Let's learn about the history of clothing manufacturing. Brian did a bunch of research, so here he is. The textile industry was one of the first to become industrialized, and from the mid-1700s to today has been a bellwether in a world of ever-growing demand for cheap goods and the continuous battle between man and machine automation. The rapid growth of the textile industry brought about experiments in social engineering, planned communities, and is one of the main reasons we now have child labor laws. A deep dive is recommended if you want to learn more. But here, I'm only going to give a brief primer on the evolution of one part of the textile industry, the evolution of fast fashion. Before the 1800s, most people relied on raising sheep to get wool, to spin yarn, to weave cloth, to... Well, you get the picture. Back then, it would take a pound and a half of wool to make one sweater. That's five sweaters per one sheep. Factor in about a year for a sheep to grow back its coat, and you see the limitations. As the newly formed United States continued to populate and farm the land, cotton quickly became the number one cash crop and source material for textiles. The amount of cotton that could be harvested compared to that of wool made fabric much cheaper and available to everyone. The use of slave labor and the invention of the cotton gin were also the start of the industry's reliance on cheap labor and industrialization to keep costs low. For manufacturing, the invention of the power loom in 1830 and invention of the sewing machine in 1846 were game changers in the amount of product that could be made in a single day. Despite the increasing number of garment factories and sewing innovations, a great deal of clothing production was still done in the home or in small workshops throughout the beginning of the 20th century. While textiles could be mass-produced, often clothing was still custom-built on demand. The fabric restrictions and more functional styles that were made necessary by World War II led to an increase in standardized production for all clothing. After becoming accustomed to such standardization, middle-class consumers became more receptive to the value of purchasing mass-produced clothing after the war. 
Even with these improvements in manufacturing, bringing down the cost of textiles, the raw materials of wool and cotton were still finite. The invention of synthetic fabrics in the 60s gave the fashion industry an endless source of raw materials to draw from that didn't depend on weather, farming, or sheep. The 80s brought the rise of the global retailer, which was able to use their expansive reach to maximize mass production, and the shopping mall gave them a place to sell. Retailers such as The Gap and Express were the precursors to what was to become of fast fashion, selling the latest trends in mass quantities throughout their entire chain of stores. And that decade saw the start of some new brands that would eventually dominate the world of fast fashion. H&M, Zara, and Forever 21. However, prior to the internet, even the big retailers had to keep their inventory limited to what they could sell in the stores. With the rise of online shopping and an ever-modernizing distribution system, now clothing manufacturers have an unlimited reach. And with ever-improving manufacturing capabilities, new designs can be mass-produced nearly as soon as they appear on the runway. The world now consumes a staggering 80 billion pieces of clothing each year. This is up 400% from two decades ago. Now that we know how fast fashion has developed, let's take a look back into high fashion and custom clothing. To do this, Chris went to Jaime's Haberdashery in St. Paul, Minnesota to price out and be fitted for a custom suit that would use high-end versions of the same materials that Andy used to make his suit. So I just walked into Hemi's Haberdashery in downtown St. Paul, and I have to tell you, this is everything I ever dreamed of while shopping out for a suit. It was awesome. It smells like leather-bound books and sweet mahogany. I, I think I'm in heaven. Hello. We met up with the owner, Hi. and his name was Anthony. Hi, I'm Chris Peck from yeah, How to Make Everything. Yeah, yeah. He told us how quality suits were determined and the textiles that make them up. Quality of a suit, for every dollar you put into a suit, you get a dollar back. Really? So la labor and materials go really hand in hand. And um, it's usually dictated by um, uh, fiber origin, okay. where it's being milled. Is it being milled in Italy? Is yeah. it being milled in China? You know, is it being milled in England? Is it Scottish wool? So where is the origin of the fiber coming from? How is quality defined in the textile business? Quality is decided by weight and finish, hand. Okay. Uh, and then where, where is the, uh, the product being processed or resourced? So it's raw materials, milling, cording, carding, sorting. Anthony sent me to Richard, one of the tailors there. For a fitting. Well, thank you so much. All right, I good really to meet you both. Yeah, good you luck. And, you bet. Uh, yep. Can't wait to be uh, dressed up by Richard. Thanks. Yeah, you'll be. I'll send him back when he's. While I waited to meet with Richard, I wow, perused the, the store. Corner, they have canes and umbrellas. Motorcycle from the early 30s. While I was walking around the store, I ran into Caroline, who was in charge of tracking down materials for custom clothing. <laughs> it's Caroline. Hey, Caroline. <laughs> if there's something you want, we can find it anywhere. That is what's so special about this store too, and my specialty here is custom clothing so okay this is my so i asked her with the rare materials that andy had provided before if there's any chance that she could price out something similar to the materials oh, andy made well i go price this out it'll take me a couple of minutes why don't you look through these see what looks appealing to you okay and then I can after i had sent caroline on her mission to find the custom materials for a suit just like andy's but way better Richard Hi. came Hi. and you? found us. Are you Richard? Yes, I am. Hey, Chris Peck, nice to meet you from How to Make Everything and Simply Complex. Richard and I talked about the term haberdashery 
and where it comes from. The, the term haberdashery, uh, old English word, mm -hmm. started just in the context of fine men's goods related to sartorial needs, suiting, sewing, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And eventually the term was expanded to include hats, and that's how it's most commonly known today because it's not a common word. He told us how fashion is a part of our creative expression as humans. Expressive experience as much as the aesthetically sound finished product. We yeah. recognize that fashion in general is an outgrowth of your experiences and how you wish to convey that in yeah. combination with all the sensory input that you've ever enjoyed in your life from sight and sound to, um, to color, to shape, and how you see yourself. And it's, it's basically the continuation of your growth beyond what your body will allow. Okay. That's the enjoyment of the creative experience. Well, Richard, all this information is so fascinating. Um, can you fit me for a suit? Yeah, we could certainly get started. All right, I'll let you lead. Definitely. We have a library of fabrics to choose from here and far more still up front. Mm -hmm. We've got a couple of stations where we can do this for you. And in addition to taking the measurements off of your anatomy, we'll also start with a template with a couple of different manufacturers that we work with. Okay, so if you'd raise your arms up for me. Okay. Thank you very much. I'm gonna take the circumference of your chest and relax them back down. Okay. Richard, I must warn you, I am extremely ticklish. All right, I'll bear that in mind. He also shared with me some helpful tips about what can actually be adjusted by a tailor. Shoulders are the fundamentally unalterable component of a jacket. I mean, you can, you can narrow them, but when you do that, you're compromising the proportions of the rest of the garment. And then before I knew it, we were done. You can go ahead and change. I'm done? I'm done? Yes, sir. Okay. Because the materials that Andy was using were simply Hemp complex. Trousers, cotton shirts, silk bow tie, wool vest, and leather belt. Caroline yep. needed a little extra time after we left the store to track down all the components. Now, with the hemp trousers, again, I'll have to explore some of these different mills that we work with and pull some different options. All right. Well, it was very great meeting you, Richard. Likewise. Thank you so much. You for are being just here. like the coolest dude. I wish you nothing but the best. <laughs> you flatter me. All Thank right. you so much. I'm I'm done with this tailor and then I am going into the So office. later Chris and Richard walked through each item of Andy's suit, the alpaca jacket, the cotton shirt, the wool vest, the silk bow tie, the hemp pants, and the leather belt. And while the prices varied, a really high-end suit made of those materials would end up costing a total of around eight thousand dollars if done really well. Now that's more than I would pay currently for a suit. But an item of clothing that I see a lot of money being spent on more often these days is a wedding dress. Wedding dresses are usually either highly altered or made completely custom. That reminded me of my friend Kate Cornier. She is an awesome designer and illustrator. I have one of her art prints here in my office and we have a pillow that she designed at home. She got her start working with high-end bridal designers in LA and just did a collaboration with Target with some new home goods and textiles, and she does these really cool bridal sketches, and one of her sketches was featured with the then Meghan Markle on the cover of Hello Magazine talking about the royal wedding. So I figured if anybody could help us figure out the differences in price and value of fast fashion and high-end fashion, Kate would be the one to ask. So I went and visited her at her studio. My name is Kate Cornier. I am a freelance illustrator. 
I am an artist and painter, and I also am a textile designer, so I have a small line of um, textile goods that I sell. And how did you get into that? I worked in a high-end bridal boutique about 15 years ago and really fell in love with fashion and apparel. I moved to California and studied apparel design there, stayed out there for about six years, worked in the fashion industry, came back to Minneapolis, which is where I live now, and started my own business as a freelance illustrator, which has kind of morphed into the textile design world, just kind of as uh, I started to go back to the things that I really fell in love with in my, in my education. Which designers did you work with? I worked for Vera Wang and Monique Lulier. I know the names, <laughs> but I have never worn the clothes. That's okay. Um, Vera Wang is a name that is very synonymous worldwide with bridal. Particular, She also has a ready-to-wear line, but um, Monique Lulier also is predominantly a bridal line, but she does a lot of evening wear, so you'll see a lot of um, celebrities wearing her garments on the red carpet and stuff like that, so she kind of is known for both. What uh, textiles do you use? I print digitally on mm-hmm. textiles, and so uh, a couple different fabrics. I use crepe de chine for my scarves, I use uh, a linen cotton blend for my pillows, and then I have a really great cotton canvas that I print my tea towels on. So cool. With your experience now with Target, can you give me just a definition of what fast fashion is? Yeah, so fast fashion is a term that we use to describe clothing that's generally a lower price point. It's companies that are producing a very, very high volume of clothing. So it's generally produced very quickly. So if you look at seasons, so a company like Target or H&M or Zara, they have many, many seasons a year that they're producing. Sometimes it's like every 12 weeks they have a new season rotation of clothing that comes through versus high-end designers have less seasons than that. So they're basically looking at what's on the runway right now. So you'll say, you go to Fashion Week in February, they're showing what's going to be in stores in fall. So these companies are going to the runway show in February and they're turning out new clothing based on the trends that they're seeing on the runway. And they're turning it over very, very quickly. And then they're making it very inexpensively and selling it in high amounts. Not that long ago, there was a sense of high quality clothing and name brands. Like yeah. I think of the way my parents talk about Levi jeans. Yes. You know, back in the day, American made is yeah. a, a, a topic now again. Yeah. Uh, and just quality. But it seems like these cheaper brands that are maybe more fast fashion are also increasing in quality. Yes. Is that true? Is that just. Uh, um, you know, that's so interesting because. I was thinking about that question earlier and thinking about just in my lifetime, if I think about, okay, the clothes that I went and bought at Target, say, when I was in high school, so 20 years ago, and then now, has the quality changed or just has the ability to have more relevant and fashion-forward designs changed? And I think, I think both, both are elements there. Mm-hmm. And I think they both contribute to the fact that more people are buying fast fashion. Just a few of the contributing factors to being able to have higher quality clothes available at a lower price is going to go back to technology and and volume as well. So you can talk about globalization and the fact that the world's becoming smaller. It's easier to ship things maybe and get things to and fro. But in terms of creating fabrics, the advancements that they've made just in probably the last even 20 years has been really incredible. You think about the polyester. People still have this idea about polyester being like this kind of gross fabric, right? You mm-hmm. think of like bell bottoms from the 70s. Polyester is an amazing fabric. Now, from an environmental standpoint, polyester isn't that great still, and I think we've still got a long way to go on that. But polyester, in terms of the hand quality, like what it feels like, 
it's really an amazing fabric. And so the fact that you, it doesn't have, you don't have to make a blouse out of silk anymore for it to have a really beautiful hand to it, mm-hmm. that makes it cheaper, right? Mm-hmm. And then so you have a nicer feeling garment for cheaper. We talked earlier about fabric printing, so the ability to print digitally and all the different ways that you can uh, print on fabrics and dye fabrics. And when you're looking at companies like H&M and Target and Zara and places like that, there's a lot of technology even in, in the idea of draping and pattern making. So when you're going through a, the fitting process, because this is something that I think has, that fast fashion has advanced in quite a bit. They still have a ways to go, um, but is the fitting process of how a garment fits when I buy it, right? Because you put on a pair of pants, they might look cute on the model. If you put them on you and they don't look that good, you're not going to buy them, right? Mm-hmm. So, but people are buying fast fashion, which means that they feel good in the clothes that they're buying. But there's even software now that um, allows you to drape a garment digitally. So instead of having a dress form or a model where you're having to do multiple rounds of fittings with that, there's now technology where you can do that all on a computer. That's incredible. So the fact that you're taking the amount of time and the amount of people that it would take for these samples and draping and models to go back and forth and do that is now can be done in a short amount of time on a computer because the computer, you can scan your fabric in, it will digitally reproduce the way that the fabric drapes and it's just all a matter of like, I haven't used it myself, but I mean, things like that have all made producing clothing easier, which has reduced the cost and has allowed company, large companies who produce fast fashion to give us a better quality garment and still keep the price low. That's incredible. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, but that's really yeah, cool. Even that technology makes it so efficient. Yeah, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. So I think I personally look at a garment and I can also tell the quality by a couple of other things. The number of seams, mm-hmm. because every seam costs money, right? So if you look at fast fashion, a lot of times like the pant hem is going to be shorter. Um, the sleeves might be shorter. There might be less pockets, less buttons. So every seam, button, pocket detail adds cost to a garment. So you look at what the fabric's made out of, um, the fit is still, I think, the fit in fast fashion has gotten a lot better, but I do think, I, if I walk into Nordstrom and put on a Bellstaff jacket, right, mm-hmm. versus going to Target and buying their version of this, like, you know, safari or military jacket, the fit of the Bellstaff and the fabric and the weight is still going to be much, much better. Mm-hmm. But there's also way more that's put into that jacket in terms of seams, the linings, the layers, the, you know, the buttons. Everything is going to be a higher quality. The craftsmanship. The craftsmanship, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. With the insider information you have from being in the, the high end fashion industry, yeah. does that affect the way you actually shop for clothes now? And do you consider like cost per wear or yeah. what do you use to measure that quality? I would definitely say cost per wear is um, part of my factor. I also think about it in terms of how long do trends last? So when I decide to invest in a garment, usually it's a piece that's either going to be worn, like I don't buy cheap denim, I only buy expensive denim, but I probably will wear the same two pairs of jeans for like a year. And I don't have 15 pairs of jeans in my closet. But for me, I want a really, really well-fitted pair of pants that I can wear over and over again. When it comes to something that's really trendy, I'm more likely to go to fast, a fast fashion resource, whether it's Target, H&M, Zara, 
because I'm like, I don't know how long this trend's going to be around. And so for me to spend $150, $200 on a nice blouse that's super trendy, I don't know if I can justify that. Mm-hmm. But so for me, it's I pick and choose what are like what's the longevity of the piece. So and how often do I wear it? So outerwear is something I invest in generally. I have some less expensive outerwear. If it comes to like the one staple piece in my closet, that great winter dress coat, I'm gonna buy a more expensive one. And then maybe I have other cute trendy ones that are less expensive. Mm-hmm. So I, that's how I personally decide what I spend on and what I don't spend on. Do designers normally consider the fabric? Is that a big part of their process? Yeah, so when you design, and when I studied apparel design in school too, one of the first things you do is find your fabric. That's, I mean, that's what they tell you over and over. You find your fabric first. Maybe you have like a general idea of where the collection's going, but your fabric oftentimes determines the fit of the garment. So before you can de- decide the nitty gritty of the garment, you need to have the fabric in hand so that you know what it does. Would you speak into the how the final cost of high end or handmade yeah. uh, a dress or a suit is usually determined? Yeah. And how that differs with fast fashion? Um, in fast fashion, you're going to have, in your manufacturing practice, one person is going to sew the same, same seam all day on the same garment, right? So they're going to be like, all right, this one's sewing side seams, and then it's on, passed on to the next person. This person sews these buttons on. This person does the collar. This person. Um, and that, they can get, they can produce it faster because they're doing the same motions all day, right? Mm-hmm. Also, the level of skill is going to be different, mm-hmm. right, for someone who's only having to do one small part of the garment. Yeah, um, science of an assembly. Yep. Line. So, like, in terms of the demand on the, of, the amount of people who have that skill set versus someone who ha- had, would have to sew the entire garment. Mm-hmm. Then when you go to higher-end garments, like beautiful suits and gowns, the amount of people working on that garment is far less. So you're having people who are craftsmen at a, at a higher level that are working on this garment and sometimes even creating the garment from, from scratch to finish with the same person. Okay. So you're, you're going to have to pay them a little bit more mm-hmm. for this person who is skilled enough to create this one piece, right, versus the person that just is sewing the one side seam all day. So that's part of it. Andy with his suit that he made, I think that's a really good example of how the cost is affected because he made everything from scratch himself, right? Mm-hmm. So when you look at from a standpoint of now we have all these resources and you have all these people that just do the one thing, right? So they can do it really well and they can do it really fast versus him having to say, I'm going to start by you know, shearing these sheep and doing this process. Then I have to jump into this next process of making the, the thread and the fibers, right? And then I have to jump into this process. He has to be an expert in all of these different parts of making a garment where you don't have to do that now. And that's going to eliminate how much time, how much cost, right? Because he doesn't have to do those things. With high end, if you're going, to, if we're talking like Armani suits and stuff like that, mm-hmm. quite often the the places that they're buying the fabric from, um, even if they're quite often they're overseas, so they're working with like fabric mills that specialize in creating fabrics for the designer. So we're in fast fashion; they're often just buying in mass amounts, right? So. We talked about volume earlier. High end, their volume is much, much lower. The amount of this one suit that maybe Armani sells is going to be much lower than the amount of suits that Zara sells. They're also sourcing the fabric from places that have more beautiful fabrics. A lot of times they're working with people who are craftsmen and the process is slower and more costly to create the quality of that fabric. Um, so those are the things. And then, you know, 
if you look at a wholesale to a retail standpoint, they're going to mark things up too. But in my experience, high-end doesn't mark things up percentage-wise as much as fast fashion does. Oh, interesting. So you might go and be like, oh my gosh, $5,000 for a suit? That's ridiculous. They're totally ripping me off. They're not probably ripping you off. Like, it's, it's very hard to make money in high fashion these days because fast fashion is so predominant and there's even less demand on high end. They're not marking it up so much, but they're ma- marking it up at a fair retail price for them to make profit. Mm-hmm. So when I look at something like that, that doesn't, mm-hmm. I might not be able to afford it personally, but it's, it is what it is. So. Cool. Do you know the margin they usually shoot for? In- retail in general. Retail is generally, overall, and it might vary a little bit for industry, is generally times two. Mm-hmm of whatever wholesale is. And then wholesale could be times three, times two of cost, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's kind of like just a general rule of thumb, you know? So if you're looking at a shirt that they sell at Target and you're like, that shirt's $25, okay. Well, maybe wholesale price, I mean, Target's manufacturing their own, but say that they're buying it for someone else, wholesale's gonna be about half that, right? Mm-hmm. And then whoever's making it has to make it for a half to a third of that cost in order for them to be profitable. So. That's kind of how that works, if that's helpful. That's super helpful. Yeah, yeah let's wrap it up. Uh, where slash what is the best way to find and buy your work? What are the best links uh, that I can include in the show notes? The best way to find me is Instagram, which is my name, at Kate Cornier, and my website, uh, which is my name, www.katecornier.com. You can purchase original work. You can purchase my textile goods. You can purchase my art prints. You can get in touch with me for freelance work all through my website or Instagram. You can message me, shoot me an email. This was super fun. Thanks. No, it was really fun. I love talking about fashion. So. Well, thanks again. You're awesome. No problem. No problem. As soon as I got back from talking with Kate, I was super excited to talk with Andy to see if the process he went through to make his own suit from scratch changed his relationship with fast fashion and the clothes that he buys and wears every day. Before we wrap this episode up, let's revisit your suit project a little bit. Mm-hmm. And how did how has that project changed your appreciation of clothing and has it impacted the way you currently buy clothes or suits? Uh, I mean, like most things, it's left me a lot more respect for the actual made product. And I think this project really highlighted kind of how a lot of people learn little pieces of processes, but not how they all connect. And this project really illustrated that for me. So I'm aware of cotton, clothing comes from that. And then like there's people that spin stuff, somehow that makes thread. Then there's some sort of weaving where you make a cloth and then that somehow gets sewed. But like to actually walk through and do all the steps and everything in between really just shows how complex clothing and how difficult it is and uh, definitely changes the way way you treat clothing when uh, you just buy a t-shirt for five dollars or something. So for an award show for how to make everything, you had to buy a suit. We all had to buy suits because we're all artistic and we don't ever need suits. So we were going to this fancy award show and needed suits. Yeah, for some reason we decided the suit I made wasn't good enough, so we're going to actually buy one. Yeah, because you, you know you had to have your body covered. <laughs> For me, that process was I went to Macy's and I got a suit, and it took like three hours to a find a suit that fit me, and then one that was good enough to like tailor to my tailor body, <laughs> and and then for you, we walk in in LA, we walk into another Macy's, and the guy stands, looks at you, and says. 
no, I think you're this size. And walks out with a suit that fits you perfectly and we leave in 30 minutes. So I thought that was like crazy fascinating. And so when talking to Kate and then with Chris's interview at the haberdashery and just like the science of laying fabric on people's bodies and how it's shaped, I'm like... I have way greater appreciation for that now, just from that experience. Uh, did you ever look into making polyester? Because I know that's super popular too. I mean, uh, mixed in with cotton and stuff. But uh, yeah, I think I was looking at synthetic stuff, and it's actually research with silk. I think it's either nylon or polyester was an attempt to recreate silk artificially, which is really cool. It was a little bit out of my reach chemically. Um, I think. My chemistry skills have improved a lot since then, so I definitely would like to give that a shot. So speaking of chemically advanced projects, you do have some more on the horizon for how to make everything. Yeah, so something we're actually working on something that's pretty similar to polyester, I imagine, is a bioplastic, a PLA, polylactic acid, and we did it with a collaboration with the University of Minnesota that are just down the street from us. They helped us turn lactic acid which is just fermented sugars, uh, and turn that into an actual kind of thready uh, plastic. That's super cool. I can't wait to see how it turns out. I want to thank everybody for listening today. Uh, it's been really fun. If you do need a cool holiday gift for someone special in your life, I definitely recommend checking out Kate Cornier's website. So please check out the link in our description. Thanks to Jaime's Haberdashery in St. Paul for hosting Chris and our intern Sophia and walking them through the tailoring process. Thanks to our team and Studio 71 for making this possible. Please subscribe if you haven't already. For more resources and show notes, we have a website where you can see what we've been talking about. It's makeeverything.tv slash simplycomplex. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at podcast at makeeverything.tv. And we also have a P.O. Box at How to Make Everything, P.O. Box 14104, St. Paul, Minnesota, 55114-1802. Thank you once again for listening. If you really enjoyed it, please leave us a review, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. It'll help us climb the charts and connect with more awesome people like you. Thanks so much. See you next time.